Uh, I'm excited uh, about the message. I tell you, the Lord has really been speaking to me about the passage of Scripture that I'm about to preach tonight. And I believe that if you'll come to it with an open heart, that God has something very special to say to us tonight. Not just the ones here in this room, but uh, I, sometimes it's good to remind ourselves that the messages never stop here. They go out on the Internet, and people are watching them all over the all over the world even in some cases. I can pull up the information and see where people are watching in other countries. And you just never know what God might do uh, one night at church for someone here or somebody there. So you that are at home, we appreciate you joining us, watching it another time. You that are here in the house, we appreciate you guys coming out on this cold night. Don said I needed to have a hot one because it was cold between the car and the building. So he's looking to be warmed up. But uh, if you would, find in your Bibles tonight, uh, Psalm chapter 32. Psalm chapter 32. We're going to read the entire psalm. It's, it's uh, only 11 verses long. And uh, we're going to read through that and then uh, see what the Lord has to say. So Psalm chapter 32. And if you have that, you can stand with me for the reading of God's word. Praise God. If you've got it, say amen. 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 Me too. This is what it says. Psalm chapter 32, beginning uh, at verse 1. There is an an inscription, and it says, A Psalm of David, uh, Masculine, which means a psalm of instruction. It's talking about instructions. Verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom... The Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, see law. And that means to pause and think about that. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place, and thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. I want to use as a title tonight, The Joy of Getting Right with God. You may be seated. The Joy of Getting Right with God. You read through this psalm. Isn't it a beautiful psalm, this psalm of David? And it begins with the inscription. It is a psalm of instruction, David is going to give us some instructions tonight, and it's good that we listen to this wise man who's been there, done that, you could say. 
Uh, first of all, I want to say that this is a psalm about forgiveness and restoration. As I said, it's a psalm about getting right with God. And what that means, it's good news for the broken. This psalm is good news for the guilty and the downcast and the hurting. It's a psalm of instruction about how really to come home and what it looks like to come home to God and experience forgiveness. It looks back at a time of sorrow in David's life, it does, about the times when he had sinned. And it shows the sorrow that David experienced over unconfessed sins in his life. He talks about the loss of joy and the unrest and the dryness of his soul and the continual grief and even the chastening of God. But it also speaks about forgiveness. Isn't that wonderful? I love it that the Bible doesn't leave us in darkness. It talks about forgiveness. It speaks of restoration. It talks about the freedom that comes when we confess our sins to God. It speaks about the blessing of being restored. Isn't it good to be restored to fellowship? It talks about the protection and the care of God, how he instructs us and he leads us and he guides us. It talks about the victory that we have in, in God, in Jesus Christ today. It shows us the contrast, you'll notice at the end of this psalm, between the godly and the ungodly, the differences there. And then it shows that there is joy that can come to all those who come to him in humble repentance. Isn't that wonderful? That there is something that can happen when we come to God, that God can give us forgiveness and restoration and healing in our lives. I, I love that. And so this psalm is talking about getting right with God, but more than that, the joy of getting right with God. Now, most believe that this is a companion psalm to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, we were there a couple weeks ago, and as I'm not going to go into all the details, and I agree that this is a companion psalm to that, and I'll show you why here in just a moment. But if you recall, it was a time when David committed the sin of adultery with Bathsheba when he seen her bathing on the roof, brought her home, committed adultery. Ultimately, David had her husband, Uriah, killed in battle. And uh, so he, he essentially murdered Uriah. And then he covered it up, but God had seen it. And God sent Nathan the prophet to come and confront David. And when he did, David confessed his sin. He said, I'm guilty as charged, and confessed his sin right then. And so Psalm 51, if you read it, is about David's repentance. It's about where he's crying out to God, and he's groaning over his sin and the things that he's done. And you can read through that and see just how much he was grieving and groaning and crying out to God. That's Psalm 51. It shows us the grieving over sin. But Psalm 32, it shows us... David's confession and his forgiveness and his restoration. Uh, I wasn't around uh, for, uh, what was it, uh, Harvey that said the rest of the story. Uh, Paul Harvey, yeah, I, I've heard that line a lot. There's the rest of the story. You might say that Psalm 32 is the rest of the story from Psalm 51. 
So Psalm 51, he's grieving over a sin, but now we see how God has restored and renewed and revived him. And that's what's so beautiful about this psalm is that you get to see the rest of the story, really. Now, if you remember in Psalm 51, David said something important that, that, um, that is going to be important for this psalm, and that's this. In Psalm 51, verse 12 and 13, listen to what he says. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Look at verse 13. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Now remember what our inscription on this psalm was? A psalm of instruction. And if you read through Psalm 51 and then 32, you're going to find out that David is now saying, I have been there. I have experienced it. I have known what it means to sin and be grieving over my sin. But now I want to tell you what it means to be forgiven. I want to tell you what it means to be restored. I want to show you what it means that there is joy in getting right with God. That's what he's talking about in Psalm 32. And so David is going to give us some instruction. So now let's take a look at this psalm and see what the Lord would have for us to hear. I want you to notice, first of all, the blessing of sins forgiven. Verses 1 and 2, let's read that. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. Let me tell you, there's never been a time more blessed than in the time when your sins were forgiven by Jesus Christ. There's never been a time more blessed than when you had the weight of sin upon you, but Jesus Christ came and took that weight off of you and gave you freedom and forgiveness of sin. There's never been a time more blessed and when you are grieving under the heavy load of sin but God sent his son into the world so that you could be forgiven and have your sins washed away in the precious blood of Jesus Christ blessed is the man whose transgression or the woman whose transgressions have been forgiven see David knew what it was like to be under the load of sin David understood what it was like to be grieving and sorrowing over sin, and he understood that. He went a long time in that condition. David went a long time in that condition, but by the grace of God, God cared for him, and God came and restored him and forgave him. Now, I want you to see four words in these first two verses. There are four words he uses to describe his sin, and I want just to give you a little bit of clarification on these. First of all, you see sin, the word sin. You see transgression. You see iniquity and guile. And the last one really is describing a condition of David's heart is what it is. So sin speaks of, generally speaks of missing the mark. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's like an archer takes an arrow and he fires it off and it doesn't hit the bullseye. Or it doesn't hit the target at all if you're me shooting an arrow. You're looking for the arrow for the next hour. Where did it go? Sin is missing the mark. Transgression, that's when you just do it on purpose. 
That's when you knew better, you knew you shouldn't do it, you knew exactly what it meant when you were doing it, and you just said, I don't care, I'm going to do it anyway. That's what a transgression is. That's when the police officer's right across the street from you, and you come to the stop sign, and you say, I'm going to show him right on through. I've seen that. That's a transgression, right? And then he talks about iniquity. Now, iniquity is, is a bent towards sin. It's a crookedness. It's a twist. It's a, it's a continued life of unrepentant sin. It, you hear sometimes the working of iniquity. It's a, it's a cycle that's happening because you have a bent towards sin. And it often leads to more and more sin. That's what iniquity does. It's going to take you further and further and further. It's like you walk into a door and there's a room full of more doors. And you walk through another one and on and on and on. An endless cycle, just bigger and bigger and more and more options of sin. That's what happens when you start down that path. And so David uses these four words and he's talking about his sins. He wants to give you a, a full uh, a picture of all these things so he can tell you really really the full picture of what God has forgiven in his life. And so David really is praising God in these first two verses. You and me, if we was to write this, we would have started with the bad stuff and we would have ended up on the really good stuff. But David says, it's too good to wait to the end. I want you to know, blessed is the one whose transgressions have been forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sins have been covered over, whose iniquity is not put on him. And I want you to know, church, tonight it's the same way for believers. The moment that you come to Christ and Jesus washed your sins away, it's a wonderful thing. And you can say, I am blessed because God has not, he has not charged me with my transgressions. Jesus took them on the cross. You can say he covered my sins. He washed them away in the blood of Jesus Christ. You can say I'm thankful because he didn't, he didn't judge me. He didn't put me under the bondage of my iniquity. Jesus took it on himself. Jesus took my iniquity on himself. And you can say today, I'm so thankful because God has taken my old dead deceitful heart and he's taken the guile out, the deception, and he's given me a new clean heart by the power of Jesus Christ. <laughs> blessed. I am blessed. If you're saved, say that tonight. I am blessed. Hallelujah. And that's what he's talking about. He says, blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. It's the blessing of sins forgiven. Now, look at this. The sorrow of sins retained. He says, I need to take you back to look at something just a moment. He says, there was a time in my life where I had unconfessed continual sin in my life. Look at verses three and four. He says, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. See law. He's saying, take a moment and think about the words that I'm saying. Remember, he's instructing us. He's instructing us. And David's saying, I'm looking back at a place that I was. And David's giving us a look at his life before the blessing of forgiveness came. He's looking back at it. He's remembering before the forgiveness came. I want you to notice a few things about this. He was in bondage and he lost his joy. Did you notice that he said, I kept silence. 
I kept silence. He was saying, I'm not telling anybody about what was going on in my life. I'm not telling anybody about the, about the things that were going on. I'm keeping my mouth shut. But here's another thing. He said, I kept silence. This sweet psalmist of Israel that used to sing praises to God, he didn't have no song on his lips. He didn't have any song of praise. Sure, he might have, he might have mouthed the words, but he really didn't have a song in his heart. He said, I kept silence. I had nothing to say. I had nothing. I was, I was grieving. I was sorrowing over my sin. I want you to notice also his physical health declined. He says, my bones waxed old. David was saying, I'm, I felt like I was getting old at a young age. I don't know what the extent of of how much uh, physical ailments he was feeling in that time, but he was saying, this is affecting me even to my very physical being. He's saying, my bones are waxing old. Not only that, but he had unrest, just general unrest. He says, I was roaring or groaning all the day long. No matter what he did, it was what, what he did, he couldn't find peace. He couldn't find rest. He couldn't, he said, I was groaning. I was, I was moaning all day long. I just couldn't seem to find it. Wherever I looked, I couldn't find the rest that I was searching for. And then divine chastisement, verse number four. Day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. David was, I don't know how much that David realized right in the moment, but now looking back, he says, oh, the heavy hand of God was pressing on me. Yeah, I was miserable and all these, he said, but let me tell you what was really miserable is God's hand was pressing on me sore and I was feeling it. And then he talks about the dryness of his soul. He says, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. He's saying, I've got, I've got no fruitfulness in, in my life. I just feel like there's nothing. This is a dry desert place. I've got nothing. Now, I want you to think about this. David was experiencing torment at every level, emotionally, physically, spiritually. He was feeling these things. And he's describing these things because he wants us to realize this, that that's what that lifestyle brings he wants us to realize the, the incredible joy in those first two verses. But now he looks back and he says, I want you to know this because I've been there. I, I've, I've seen this. I've felt it. I've known it. He says, I, I, was, I was miserable. And so he's looking back at what was going on. Charles Spurgeon once said, God's hand is very helpful when it uplifts, but it is awful when it presses down. Better a world on the shoulder like Atlas than God's hand on the heart like David. I think that was the worst of all when he was feeling the heavy hand of God. And David was saying, it's, it's more than I can bear. And let me tell you something about that because the ones that God loves, he chastens. When we get away from him. See, God was not doing it just to afflict David just because God thought it would be fun. This was God's son. This was, this was David, his child. This was God's beloved David. And he said, you've gone off track and I want you to come home. I want you to come back. And so the heavy hand of God was pressing on him, not just to be pressing on him, but he's pressing on him to get it, to drive him back home to the place where he could again have praise on his lips and again enjoy the blessings and the mercies of God. 
The hand of God was pressing on him. And look, if you're, if you're living off in, in a lifestyle and, and it doesn't bother you to sin and you feel okay with it and there's nothing that ever, uh, it doesn't worry you at all. And let me tell you, you, you don't belong to God if God's not chastening you in those times. If God doesn't start pushing his hand on you, then he's not, uh, if he's not chastening you, you really need to be getting to the altar and find out if you really belong to him or not. Because those that God loves, he will chasten, just like he did David. If he, if he did it for David, he will do it for us. Now, the blessing of sins confessed. The blessing of sins confessed. It's forgiveness. Look at verse 5. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsaketh them shall have mercy. When David was confronted by God, David responded the right way. He said, guilty is charged, and he confessed his sin to God, and that's what he's talking about. And the moment that David did, David found freedom in confessing his sins to God. And God is willing to give freedom to anyone who's willing to come to him with a repentant heart. Now, I want you to notice this. There was a barrier that was removed. This sin, uh, when David confessed his sins, this barrier that was between him and God, this wall of petition that, that was separating him from God, it was removed. The moment that he confessed his sin, God removed this barrier, the hostility, the, the, the things that was keeping him from having his fellowship. There was a barrier that was removed. What was happening was David was beginning to see his sin the same way that God sees it. He was coming to an agreement with God about his sin. That's what was happening. He was saying, yes, God, you say this is sin, and I agree with you that it is, in fact, sin. They were coming to an agreement together. So a barrier was being removed. Now they are on the same page. And not only that, he says, no more hiding. He says that in, in, uh, in that verse 5. He says, mine iniquity have I not hid. That means at that point, he said, I'm done hiding it. I'm done doing my own thing. I'm done ignoring it. I'm done with this. God, you have came and you've confronted me. You've pressed on me. And okay, I confess it to you and I'm not hiding it anymore. And then forgiveness was received. Watch that. He said, this is what David said. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Now watch. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Did you see how that happened right there? David said, okay, I confess it. And God said, okay, I forgive it. Just like that. David confessed his sin. There wasn't, there wasn't some kind of a waiting period. There wasn't some kind of list of things that you got to do. He didn't have to, you know, he didn't have to do all this different stuff. It, God just wanted David to come and be honest and agree with him about his sin. And the moment that he did, David said, I have sinned. And God said, I forgive. Just like that. that you, God was ready. God had already decided to forgive David before David had decided that he wanted to receive it. 
God had already decided, I'm going to forgive him if he'll come to me. God had already decided, if he'll come to me in humble repentance, I'll forgive him right then. God had already decided if David was willing to do that. And the moment that David did, God forgave him. See, God was waiting on David. God was urging him along, pressing on him, saying, come on. And, And God was just waiting on David. And I think sometimes God is just waiting on us. God is just waiting on us to say, okay, God, I agree with you about my sin. I agree with it. I confess it to you. And the moment that you do, God says, okay, you've confessed it. I forgive it. And that's the end of the story. It was Corey Ten Boom used to say, when, when God forgives us, he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness and, and puts a sign up that says, no fishing. That's good. I like that. I read the story about a well-known atheist woman, and just before her death, she said this. Listen, she said, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. The sad thing was is she did, and God was waiting on her, but she wasn't willing to receive it. Isn't that amazing? 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, you know the verse, but we're talking about the blessing of sins confessed. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. That's what God's word says about getting forgiveness. I love this because it says God is faithful and just. Just means that he has the right to do it. The payment's been made by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. All of our debts have been paid. And the Bible says God is faithful. He will do it. And he's just to do it. He has the right to do it. And so many times we say, God, you won't forgive me for this, or God, you can't forgive me this, but who are we to say, God, you can't do what you said you would do when you said you would do it? Who are we to tell God what he can and cannot do? Don't ever say, God can't forgive me, because God says, I can and I will. That's what the Bible says. I'm going to take that as the authority, and that's good news. That's good news. <laughs> Hallelujah. I, I read this story about, uh, the story is told about a dream that Martin Luther had, uh, the reformer Martin Luther, and there's a, a few variations of it, but it talks about in this dream that Luther was being attacked by Satan, and the devil unrolled a large scroll in front of him. And in that scroll was a long list of Luther's sins, just a, just a long list. And Luther was looking over at it, seeing all these sins. And uh, Luther asked the devil, he said, is that all my sins? And Satan replied, no. So Luther said, then let me see them all. And so a second scroll was thrust in front of him. And then a third rolled out in front of him. And Luther looked at the record of his guilt and seen that it was, it was true. He'd done these things, these sins, yes. And he asked Satan, he said, now, is this all of my sins? 
And the devil said, yes, it is all of them. So then Luther says this, you've forgotten something. Take thy pen and write in red across the scrolls, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sins. Hallelujah. And that's what that verse is telling us. God is willing to forgive if we're willing to be forgiven. And now the blessing of restoration, verses 6 and 7. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. First of all, with this forgiveness came the return of fellowship. The return of fellowship. He says, everyone that is godly, pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Now we know God is good. We know that he's gracious. And we can come to God through Jesus Christ. And he can be found. And he will forgive us. And he will restore us. And not only that, but he'll restore us to fellowship with him. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 and 7 says it again, similar. Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That means that the forgiveness can come and the fellowship can be restored. And that's why it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So when sin is removed, then fellowship is restored. And now, I want you to think about this. There's protection that comes with God. The, the blessing of restoration is also there's, there's protection from judgment. It talks about that in this verse. Uh, don't miss this. It's, it's really beautiful. He says about halfway down in verse 6, Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. He's talking about to the godly that call out to God. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me or surround me about with songs of deliverance. Before you were forgiven, you were hiding from God. And now that you're forgiven, you're hiding in God. You used to run from him. And now you're hiding in Jesus Christ. So in Jesus Christ is a wonderful place of protection. It's a beautiful place of protection. Now when I read this, I can't help, it's talking about the floods, the, the floods of great waters. And I can't help but think about Noah in his day. Because remember in our verse it says, the godly pray unto thee. Well God was going to bring a flood upon the ungodly in Noah's day. 
He was going to bring judgment upon the ungodly in Noah's day. But the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so he built an ark where God was going to protect him when the floods came. And so when the floods of judgment came, Noah went into the ark and God shut the door. And what happened as the flood waters of judgment came up, Noah went higher and higher and higher in the ark, protected and safe in the ark. And it's the same thing with Jesus. When we come to Christ Jesus and we are hiding in Christ, when the floods of great waters of judgment come after us, we are hidden in Jesus Christ. You know, I think about the Bible says that uh, Jesus was lifted up on the cross. And when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, the floods of God's judgment came on him. But since Jesus was lifted up, we can be lifted up above the floods of judgment because Jesus has already taken them all and we can hide safe inside the person of Jesus Christ. The ark of Christ Jesus. That's our protection from the floods. Hallelujah. I think that's beautiful. That's why he says, surely the floods of great waters shall not come nigh unto him. Then I want you to notice this. I love this. The last part of verse 7. The believer is surrounded by victory. He says, thou shalt compass or surround me about with songs of deliverance. And I thought about that. What is he talking about? You're going to surround me with songs of deliverance. And, and I thought, well, you know, when they sang songs of victory, it was after God brought the victory. You think about the Red Sea. When God brought the children of Israel through the Red Sea, and he did it on dry ground, and then the waters came over and destroyed all their enemies, and, and uh, they seen the Egyptians laying dead on the shore, and they sang a song of victory. And so I think what David is saying with God, I'm going to go from victory to victory to victory to victory. God is going to surround me with victory. He's going to fight my battles for me. And all I have to do is sing his praises. Hallelujah. We're going to be just like the children of Israel. We see our enemies on the shores, those things that once chased us, those things that once sought to kill us, to take our life. And all we got to do is trust Jesus Christ, and he's going to take us right on through the floods. He's going to take us right on through when the enemy comes in to try to take us down. And all we got to do is praise the Lord when we look around and see Jesus has already defeated all of our enemies. He's going to surround us. Victory to victory to victory. I love that. Hallelujah. I think that's, that's the best I can do on that verse. If you got a better way, you can tell me later. But that's, I think that makes a lot of sense. And then we have the blessing of God's instruction and guidance. Verse 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Now, this David is speaking, writing here, but God is speaking through David by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And God is saying, I will instruct thee and teach thee, and I'm going to guide you with my eye. So he gives the promise of, of teaching and instruction. Now, when we're born again, God intends us to continue to grow in grace, to learn. He intends for us to, to grow up in the things of God. 
And so he instructs us. That is, he, he gives us information. We're taking information in all time. And then he teaches us. That's the experiences that we gain as we go along. But I love the fact that it talks about that he will guide us with his eye. Now, we're in God's care, obviously. I think that's a given when we read that, that, that God sees us and we're in his care. But I thought, I thought a little bit about this, and, and I think I have a, maybe a, a, a good thought about it. I've got a little, a little John boat, okay? Just a little three-seater, a little metal John boat, almost 12 feet long. And I've got a little trolling motor on the back of it, and it's got the handle that comes out, you know, and you can, so you can sit on the bench in the back, and you can run that motor and steer the boat with the handle, okay? Now, usually when I take that boat out, I'll, I'll take a, a friend or something, and I have them sit up in the front. Now, the guy in the front, his job, other than to get mad about where I'm going when he wants to go somewhere else, is to watch out ahead, especially at night. While you're running through the lake, you never know whether you're going to run over a stump or a turtle or a rock or who knows what. And so the guy in the front, he's supposed to be looking out, watching, telling you it's getting shallow. Speed up, slow down, go left, go right. There's a tree in the water. There's a tree in the water. There's a tree in the water. Oh, sorry. Well, how do we get off this tree in the water? <laughs> he's supposed to tell you he's watching. And what is he doing? He's guiding you with his eyes. And the same way with God. God lets us drive the boat. But he expects us to listen when he gives us instructions. Because from his perspective, he can see a lot more than you can. God can see everything. And so as you're cruising along, God says, go left. You better go left. God says, go right. You better go right. God says, slow down, and on and on. And God says, hold on, you're headed for the rocks. There's rocks, say, hold on, you're headed for the rocks, you better avoid it. And God says, you're headed for destruction, you're headed the wrong way, you better adjust course, you better turn around, you better go another way, I'm letting you drive, but you had better listen or it's not gonna work out well for you. Why? Because God will let us drive, but he's gonna guide us with his eyes because he can see all things and he knows where we're headed. And when God says, move, you better move. And when God says, stay, you better stay stay because he's guiding you with his all-seeing eyes. That's what that, that's what that means. God is guiding us with his eyes. He can see everything. There's nothing hidden from God. Nothing. So he can guide us. And then immediately after this, David gives us a warning against disobedience. In verse 9, be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding. I have never seen that on a Christian t-shirt before. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've, I've, I've never seen, be ye not as the horse or as the mule. You don't hear that in the praise and worship songs. This is not something that you're, you know, you're not singing about. But this is a warning that God gives us. And he's talking about uh, 
being stubborn like an animal. Being stubborn like an animal. Uh, I, one time, I, a couple times I've done it actually. I played donkey basketball. You know what that is? It's where you play basketball on a donkey. That's hard to figure out, right? <laughs> donkey basketball. Did you, Tyler, did you do that? You did too, okay. So there's, there's two of us in this room. Anybody else ever play donkey? Okay, Dale. Yeah. All right, so you know what I'm talking about. When you get on that donkey, that donkey does not do any kind of negotiations. You're not thinking on the same wavelength together. You're not working together. And I know some of you are saying, yeah, the donkey can't get down to your level. Now, now hold on. This portion of the message you can just not give me any input on. I, that's fine. But... You know, the donkey's wanting to go that way, and you're going that way, and you're doing it at the same time. And you can't just get off and say, now, little donkey, let's go the other way. Because while you're doing that, he's dragging you across the gym floor. You know, he's biting and kicking and snorting and, and everything else. There's just, no, there's just no getting around it. And that's the same thing that, that he's talking about here. He said, if you're not listening to God, you're like a dumb animal. You're doing your own thing. And the only thing that you understand is when God starts poking and prodding and pulling. And, I mean, that's what, that's what God will do to us if he has to. But he shouldn't have to. We should listen to what he says. We should listen to his guidance. And that's what David is saying. He said, don't be like the horse or the, or the mule that's obstinate and is not willing to hear instruction. When, when God speaks, be willing to hear what he says as soon as he says it. So that way you guys can be in agreement going the same direction. And it's going to work out well for you. And then finally, he gives us a contrast between the godly and the ungodly. Verse 10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him or surround him about. So he says the wicked life is going to be a life surrounded by sorrow. Why? Because we're going our own way. We're doing our own thing. We're not obeying the voice of God, the wicked life. But he says the believer's life, you may trip and stumble, you may fall and mess up, but he says, a beautiful thing is you're going to be surrounded by God's mercy. When you fall, God is going to be gracious and kind to you. The believer is surrounded by mercy. He says, he that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. And so when we're following the Lord, we enjoy the benefits of fellowship with him. We enjoy the benefits of knowing him and, and spending time with him. And he keeps us safe and he surrounds us with his mercy. And the reason that, again, the reason that David is able to give us all these all this information, all this instruction is because David had been there before. He had been there and he's saying, please listen. Please listen to the words that I'm saying. I've experienced and, and I can save you a lot of heartache is what David is trying to tell us. He was instructing us in this psalm. He's doing exactly what he told God that he would do. I will teach transgressors thy ways. And then he gives us a final exhortation for the righteous to praise God. Let's not forget, this is the joy of getting right with God. 
This is the joy of getting right with God. It talks about his confession. It talks about his forgiveness and his restoration. And he says in verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. He's saying if God has restored you, then you should praise God. If God has brought you out of the horrible pit, then surely you should give God praise. If God has taken you from the wickedness and the unrighteousness of your life and brought you into good standing and justified you by the blood of Jesus Christ, if God has brought you into a place of fellowship and joy and restoration, shouldn't you praise God for his goodness? Shouldn't you praise God for his righteousness? Shouldn't you praise God for where he brought you from shouldn't you give him glory day and night that you're not going to hell that you're not going to a place of judgment and damnation for all of eternity but you've got a place in glory with Jesus Christ who's going to take us out of this sinful world and give us an eternal home in glory where we're never going to die we're never going to have sorrows there's going to be no more tears no more darkness no more sadness no more sin that has afflicted us so much God is going to take us to be with him. It's something we should praise him for. Is there anybody that will praise God for his goodness and for his mercy? If that's you, blessed is the one whose transgressions have been forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sins have been covered in the blood of Jesus. Blessed is the one who's had their iniquity put on Christ Jesus, who's been given a new heart and a new desire and a new blessing through the blood and the power of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It's all through the cross through the death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, trusting in what he's done. There's joy in getting right with God. There's joy in getting right with God. Now, as I was praying over this message, before I had the text, the Lord was really impressing on my heart what I'm about to say. And uh, the Lord has just really been burning this on my heart even since Thursday. Because I know that there's, there's someone, there's a question in your heart. In the, in the heart of someone, I don't know, here listening, God knows who this is for. And I'll just leave it at that. There's a question in the heart, and the question that you have is this. Is there forgiveness for me? That's the question that's... that's Someone listening to this message, I know, you're go I know it with all my heart you're going to hear this. I know it. Is there forgiveness for me? See, the problem is that you, you believed a lie of the devil. The problem is you believe the devil has told you that, that you've gone too far, that you've just you've sinned so much that God's not going to forgive you. He's told you that there's no hope and there's no point in even going on any further. You might as well give up. He's, he's told you to the point that it's become a stronghold. It's become a foothold in you, and it's robbing you of your joy. It's robbing you of the blessings. It's robbing you of the, of the fellowship and the, and the joy that you can have in Christ. It's robbing you because you believe the lie of the devil. 
and it's a stronghold inside of you. But I believe right now that Jesus wants to set you free from that. I believe that Jesus wants to set you free from that. The Bible says that his mercy endures forever. And that means for you that his mercy has not ran out. That means that God's mercy has not ran out, that there's forgiveness for you. The mercy of the Lord endures forever. That's the first thing you need to know. Now, because you have this question in your heart, there's, there's a passage in Psalm 130, and this is, this is going to be your answers. Psalm 130, verse 3. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? You, you read that verse and you feel like, I've been marked for destruction. That's, that's what the devil has lied to you about. That's what the devil is telling you. You've been marked for destruction and that's it. And, and you say, if the Lord has seen my life and seen the wickedness that I've, if the Lord has seen where I've been and what I've done, then surely he has marked me and I cannot stand. But here's your answer. It's in Psalm 130, verse 4, the next verse. But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared, there is forgiveness with God. That's your answer you've been searching for. You want to know, is there forgiveness for me? And that's the question in your heart from the word of God right here is your answer. There is forgiveness for you. And it's going to cause a new godly fear to rise up in your heart where you're going to honor God. Where you're going to have a new reverence for God. Because he's done something in your heart. Because he's transformed you. It's going to cause you to fear the Lord and say, I don't ever want to go back to that place that I once was. It's going to break you free. Now there's one more verse you need to hear. It's just going to, and you've already heard that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all, A-L-L, all unrighteousness. But Psalm 130, verse 7, you need to hear this too. Let Israel hope in the Lord. He's talking nationally, but now he's also speaking to the individual. For with the Lord, there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. The question in your heart, is there forgiveness for me? The answer is, there is forgiveness with God, there is mercy with God, and there is plenteous redemption with God. It's through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. It's through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the moment that you put your trust in him, God is going to break this bondage in your life. That's not what I have to say. That's what the word of God has said. It's right there in the word of God. See, here's something else about this. You remember the feeding of the 5,000 and there was five loaves and two fish. And with man, there was this multitude, and they said, it's not enough. We can't feed all these people. But with Jesus, there was enough. 
With Jesus, there was enough. And, and inside, you're saying, my sins are multiplied. They're numerous. They're multiplied. But the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ is multiplied more. Because where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And with Jesus, there is enough. You say, is there enough for me? There's enough for you. There's more than enough for you. Your sins can and will be forgiven on the authority of God's word. It can be done the moment you surrender to him. Hallelujah. Brother Chris, go ahead and come tonight to bring the song. I want you to, I don't know who that was for, but God knows exactly, probably more than one person. But God has been burning that on my heart for, for the last three days. And that passage, before I even started on the text of Psalm 32, this, what I just shared with you, is what God put in my heart for someone maybe watching online right now maybe in this room, wherever you are, it, it doesn't matter where you are. Respond to what the word of God has said. It doesn't matter. Let God do a miracle in your life. I believe with all my heart. I, I believe with all my heart. If that's you and, and if it's you, you know it. And you, if you'll stop right there where you are, if you'll stop right there where you are, and just begin to cry out to God, God will hear you. God will hear you. God will forgive you. I have prayed for you. I have cried out for you. And I want to see God set you free. So we're going to sing a few courses of this song and then I'm going to come back up after we sing together as a church and I'm going to pray with everyone here and during that time as he's singing if you need to come to these altars we have plenty of time God's business comes first I'm in no hurry because I, I believe that God wants to do something special tonight I believe it. I really do. So stand with us tonight. The altars are open. And let's sing together. And then I'm going to come back and have prayer. Bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the anointing that's in this place tonight. I thank you that your word has the power to break down any barrier, any bondage, any stronghold. And so, Lord, we claim what you said in the pages of Scripture, knowing that it is God-breathed and given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We know, Lord, that you have spoken it. And so tonight, Father, wherever these, there's maybe more than one, Lord, who's feeling this question burning in their heart, Lord, I pray that tonight, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that it is answered once and for all. And, Lord, that the joy of the Lord would fill their heart 
and the blessing of the Lord would be their daily portion, and that every day they would grow in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, that they too would become a witness and become one that can instruct and teach others just like David. Now, church, would you, would you pray this with me? We can all pray, that to, pray it together. You at home, I want you to say this with me as well. Dear Jesus, your word says that there is forgiveness for me. So right now, I receive it. I'm done hiding. I'm done with deception. In the best way I know how, I yield to you now. I believe you died on the cross for me. You were buried and you rose again on the third day. So Jesus, right now, by faith, I turn from my sins and I am trusting you to save me, to forgive me, to heal me and to restore me. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God praise. Give God praise. Hallelujah. Right there where you are. Give God praise. Glory, glory, glory. Amen. Praise.